Hey, my name's Russ Klemmer. I'm the president of Legacy Advisory Partners, and I'm the host of the Three Wins podcast. Hey, I want to introduce to you a great friend. He's actually a, a family member as well, but he's a, a great entrepreneur, now author, and artist from the Atlanta area, born and raised for all of those who are listening in the Atlanta area. And William owns a company called The Sketch Effect. And so he tells his story about being an entrepreneur. He talks about The Sketch Effect and what they do and how, they, how he grew into providing that service and that, that work. And he talks about it in this book. All right. He just, just wrote and uh, published this book called The Conquering Creative. And it's a phenomenal outline. And I've got an MBA, which doesn't mean other than I've read a lot of business books. And so this is among some of the best, and I hope the best for him. But listen now, as uh, William shares some of his story on the Three Wind Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember to like and subscribe. All righty. Now you're ready. I'm ready. Rock and roll. So the book's been launched for two weeks? Yes, two weeks, two and a half weeks. Okay. How do you feel? How's it going? Good. The first week was, it was a lot of work leading up to it. And I knew, I knew it would be a lot of work leading up to the launch. And then the actual yeah. launch week was incredibly thrilling, but also very, very, very exhausting. And like by the Friday I was dead. I was like all that, all that I had left in the tank was just gone, like nothing left. And so I just underestimated how, how depleted I would be at the end of the process. And so like last week I was just like recovering and I feel like it wasn't until earlier this week that I feel like I'm, I'm kind of back to my normal levels of energy, but it was, it was exciting though. I mean, it sold pretty well, I think, I mean, over close to 700 copies now and yeah, yeah. Hit some Amazon bestseller lists for the launch week, which is cool. Yeah. And got a lot of good feedback from people who are, who bought it and read it and tell me about yeah. it. And so yeah, I'm excited. You know, it's just the start. So we'll we'll see what where it goes from here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's part of what I want to talk today, just about the book and general motivations and all that stuff. But then about the sketch effect, and you've got a lot of history of it in the book. But I want to capture, you know, what kind of your story of sitting there and, and doing something that was, you know, a Chick-fil-A kind of drawing and sketching out the meetings you were in and how that kind of grew into the entrepreneurial idea. And then you know, just kind of get some more of that history. And then whatever you're excited about, like some some next things. Mm. The book has been the next thing, but then like, you know, what what are you what are you looking forward to over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months? Product launches, anything like that that you're kind of looking forward to. And then what you've learned through this process. I know you capture a lot of that in the book as well, which the book is great. The book is great. Thanks, man. And, honest, and honestly, William, I I know you, and I think you'll take this the right way. A lot of people write a lot of books. Yeah. And most of them are not good. <laughs> but I was reading this one, and I didn't know. I mean, I'm like, William's a smart dude, Wake Forest and all, but, you know, we'll see. And it's a great book. Thanks. I appreciate that. It, it is. And, you know, I just, I, I thought about it, and I'm like, you know, nobody really has has tapped into that start artist kind of mindset the way that you have mm. and really challenge people who are on that artist are more on the artistic side 
But it also, because I'm not very artistic, it also challenged me to say, hey, you need to be creative in what you're doing, not just because even if I'm creating a spreadsheet, it's still something that I need to follow all these principles on. Yep. When I'm going to market and talking with my clients and prospects, it's, it, it's, a, it's a great book. Well, I appreciate that feedback. I mean, I, you know, I, I wanted to put something into the world that was quality <laughs> and that was actually like helpful. And cause you're right. There are a lot of people write books. A lot of people just do it to, you know, check that box and kind of have a book or whatever. And I, and that's fine. There's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of different strategies. There's a lot of different motivations behind why someone to write a book. But for me, I'm like, I want to put something quality into the world that will actually help people and be entertaining. So I appreciate yeah. that feedback. Yeah. Well, and it looks cool too. Looks cool too. And I, at first glance, I said, well, I'm not an artist. So I wonder what William has to say to me. And then as I kept reading through it, I'm like, this has nothing to do with it. Everybody's got a little bit of artistic element in them. So this is more of a, it just happens to be from the perspective of someone who is a trained and professional artist following all the same principles that you would read in any other business book, but how you went about them and the lessons you learned. You're very, you're very transparent in the book, very vulnerable. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I've heard from other people that are not creative business owners and they're like, this is actually helpful for me too. And I'm, I'm like, that's great. I mean, if it can appeal yeah. to more than just creative people, like that's, that's a huge win in my book. Yeah. I draw stick figures and, and weird shapes and, you know, stuff when I doodle, I don't ever get to anything like you guys do. And I'm not an, I wouldn't consider myself an artist and I like it. A couple questions, you know, it's, it's, had you decide to write a book about business and entrepreneurial management versus a book about any other topic that comes in mind when you think about the sketch effect? How'd you select the scope and kind of the idea of the book? That's a great question. I mean, I, I was coached by somebody to the best place to start when you write a book is to write about what you know. And I was like, okay, well, what do I know? you know, 10 years, almost 10 years running a business. Like I know, I know about like how to run, or I've learned how to run, how to grow creative business. So I'm like, that sounds good, but you're right. I could have written a book about visual note-taking or like visual thinking or like all of that. And that might come eventually. Maybe that's the next book. Maybe, maybe the next book is more of like a creativity book for businessy people. You know, this is kind of a business book for creative people. So maybe the next book is the, is the flip side of that. Like how do I want to read that one too? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the next one. And I, and I I had, you know, I was like, that was originally maybe the idea was like to do more of a, like a, like a a business book for, for, or a creative creativity book for business people. And that might be a good next one. But I think with this one, I kind of wanted to establish myself in the entrepreneurial community of like authors and kind of start to move in that, in that direction. And I just like the idea of helping people. Like, I feel like create creative people especially need help. You know, people like me, like if you want to make a living as a creative, like you just need, you need some help. I know I did. And so the I, there's so, also a little bit of like a, a purpose element behind it, which is that I hope this will help people to find fulfillment and find work that they love to do and, and be excellent at it. Yeah, the whole kind of concept of someone, if you're an artist, then, you know, what is that? What value are you bringing and all of the kind of stereotypes and the things people say that don't understand, right? What yep. it is to bring creativity and art to a conversation. And you're talking about how to just build that 
creative outlet, that skill set into a product, mm -hmm. into a deliverable in a consistent, timely manner, take care of the people that help you achieve that. But I liken the people who have that artistic flair and they rely on that and they blame bad habits on the fact that they're an artist. Yeah. Yep. And it's they, not acceptable. It's just, no, no, it's just bad habits. I mean, it's like, bad oh, habits just, no matter what. I'm just disorganized. I'm just not, you know, I'm like, that's not, ex I mean, you may be now, but like, hopefully the in the book, the idea gets across, like you can learn these things. Like you, you might not be good at invoicing right now, but you can learn good enough behaviors and patterns to, to be good at that part of things. Yeah. So I agree with you completely. Yeah. And part of it is recognizing if I don't, if someone doesn't do this well, whether it's me or I hire someone to do it, outsource or internal, if I don't acknowledge that it's important, my business is going to suffer. Yep. It will collapse. And that's what, that's yep. what your book does so well is says, Hey, it's not, it's not a big step for you to acknowledge that this is important. And if you haven't acknowledged it yet, you're suffering in some way. Either you can't grow or you're working a hundred hours a week, any of the, any of those things above. Yeah. Had you come up with a layout, like what, what, you know, there's what 150 business principles you could pick. Had you yeah. come up with the sections, had you come up with the, the kind of the flow and the layout of the book? It's a great question. So originally the, the book was going to be sequential. It was going to be, how do you start a business step one through step whatever. And I'm like, that makes sense. Like, okay, you want to start a business. How do you begin? What do you do in the beginning? What do you do in the middle? What do you do to start to scale up? And then the more I thought about that, the more that felt like an inauthentic approach because mm -hmm. I didn't want to, I didn't want to write a manual or like a how-to guide. Like there's plenty of that out there. I wanted to make my book more anchored on, on themes and on principles. And the thing about these themes and principles is, as you'll see in the book, is they apply to all different stages of a business. They apply to the early stage to like late stage. And so once I threw out the idea of it having to be sequential, it, it kind of like the magic started happening. And so I started just jotting down my, my ideas. And then I started, like, I had a bunch of things I want to talk about. I probably had maybe 50 idea, 50 like kind of ideas I wanted to embed in the book, mm -hmm. put them all on paper. And then I started to just like sort them into category, like kind of how do they best sort themselves? And then as I did that, I realized that they really kind of all lived under these nine kind of themes and those nine yeah. themes became the nine shifts. And so the book is based on nine shifts to build an unstoppable business. And the first three are shifts in thinking. Yeah. The second three are shifts in, in your actions. Like, what do you do? And then the final three are, are shifts in your outcomes or shifting your results, because I'm a believer that your, your thoughts shape your habits and your habits shape your, your destiny. So if you don't start first and foremost with mindset, then it's a moot point to talk about actions because your actions flow from your mindset. They flow from your thinking. And so, yeah, I was like, let's, let's make this book based on themes. And it really just, the, the ideas just sorted themselves into these nine shifts. And I had, I had two or three that got cut. I had originally 11 and it was just getting too long. And so that was just an editorial decision of what, what can we cut? What can we edit to amplify the, the core ideas of the book? Awesome. I mean, it's 300 pages. 
it's 300 pages, but I will say there's almost an illustration on every page because I wanted it. I wanted, I wanted the book to appeal to people that don't normally read business books, people who, you know, they might pick up a, you know, e-myth or good to great or whatever, and just see tons and tons of texts and be like, that's not the book for me. So this book, I wanted someone to pick it up or look at or hear about it and say, wow, there's like tons of illustrations. Like there's tons of diagrams. This, this is approachable. This is readable. This is not a stuffy business book. It is a business book, but it's hopefully a fun business book. And so, yeah, it's 300 pages. It's, which seems quite long, but if you think about it, there's an illustration almost on every page. So from people I've heard who've read it, they're like, I flew through it. You know, it's a quick read. You can just kind of burn through it. And yeah, hopefully it's an enjoyable experience. Yeah. Yeah. I read it very quickly. I'll confirm that. Yeah. I read it very quickly and there's no place where you get bogged down. And almost every book you read out there on a how-to for, you know, we do a lot of family planning, legacy planning stuff with a lot of financial planning, Mm -hmm. a lot of different things around those concepts. And they're, they're, most of the books are not Mm well-written. They're well-known. They're, they're kind of like the staple, but you just get bogged down in them and it gets, you get entrenched in an idea and they just spend, you kind of, you float and, and kind of get to every single one, but enough of the superlatives. Let's kind of get down to some of these, some of these different areas you're in. You taking the time to say to a creative, Hey, you need to study your P and L. I mean, it, it, that's, that's one of those things where I expect somebody to look at it and say, I'm not reading any more of this. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that's not something I want to pay attention to. And in the role that we, you know, play a legacy, that's one of the first things I see. If somebody's not paying attention to their PL, their business is screwed up. One one way or another, something is off. Right. That that's the in and the balance sheet as well. But if they're not paying attention to those two things, have a clean set of numbers, they're not, they're not running a good business. Right? right. They may have a great idea, but they're not really running a good business. And yep. and for the fact for you to kind of sit down and say, I'm going, you know, make your business, your livelihood transparent in this book. That's a big deal. And I, I think that's part of what the appeal of the book is. You're not just saying these are good ideas and I've done it perfectly. You're saying, hey, this is a good idea because I've screwed up so badly in it. Yeah. I've not paid I, attention to it. I've I've struggled with that. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned it the hard way. And that's that's a key message in the book, which is that you don't have to learn it the hard way. You can just learn it and then apply it and then benefit from it. You know, you don't have to make those mistakes. You don't have to wade through the murky waters to, to, you know, and then come out the other side, you can just be there. You know, you can just start a good business from scratch. And part of that includes, you know, knowing how to read a PL. like what even is a PL? And, and you're right. A lot of creatives, which is who the book is marketed towards might say, Oh, I don't want to read about how to do a PL. That's boring. And so that's why in that chapter, I guess chapter two is kind of the finances mm-hmm. is kind of the theme, the financial um, chapter. Yeah. I don't, I don't lead the book. Doesn't the chapter doesn't lead with like, Hey, get your numbers in order or like figure out your bookkeeping. It leads with this idea, which is that business can lead to so many dreams coming true. It can lead to so many amazing experiences. It can lead to so many incredible relationships. You know, for me, I've gotten to travel. I've gotten to meet people. I've gotten to, you know, write a book. Like these are all dreams that have come true because of my business, but none of those dreams will come true if you don't have a financially viable business. So it leads with this idea of like, hey, like this can lead to your greatest dreams coming true, but you need to have a couple, you need to get a handle on the numbers. Like at the end of the day, if your business does not, 
is not financially sound, it's it's not going to be around for a long time. So if you want to reap all these blessings and 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 achieve all these dreams, one of the things you need to kind of get a handle on it are the are the finances. So hopefully that's a a way of presenting that idea to creative people in a way that's a little bit less intimidating and a little bit more oh like you know I could do that like I can learn that like yeah I want to I got these dreams I want to meet people I want to see the world I want to have a good income like hopefully that is a good segue to get people into learning about what a PL is and how to manage the, the the money side of things. Yeah yeah so the so the conquering creative and and when I looked at the front of the book for you know the first time I I thought of isn't it uh in the Pacific World War II in the Pacific where the guys are the iconic photo of the guys lifting the, the Iwo Jima yeah it, it, yeah that's what I it, yeah was that a part of the motivation or the inspiration on that you're, particular thing you're talking about the cover image yeah yeah on the book so yeah I've always loved the idea and I know we're recording video so I'll put it up here on the video I yeah. always have loved the idea of like the hero, like kind of with the flag and kind of like going off and doing whatever, whether it's conquering a mountain or like lifting it at Iwo Jima in World War II, or, you know, this particular cover design was also inspired by the play Les Miserables, where like the the people are at the barricade, they're like raising the flag. So it's just like, it's kind of an amalgam of, of imagery, you know, of just this idea of the conquering hero. Like you're starting off on your journey. You don't know if you're going to make it, but at the end of the day, you plant the flag, you wave the flag, you know, you, you, you take the flag and plant it in the, in the destination and you've conquered, you know, you've done the thing. So, so yeah, that's, that was the inspiration for the cover illustration was kind of an amalgam of those, those images of, of like the hero planting the flag in their success, in their victory. Yeah. And, and what are they standing on? I'm assuming that's you. Is that yeah. is that uh, is that William Warren? It's not necessarily me. It's a generic. It's supposed to be kind of a generic figure, but he's standing on on a pile of of like business debris. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like all a pile scary, of all the all the scary stuff. All the scary stuff. Yeah, it was like uh, forms in there and like charts and invoices and coffee mugs yeah. and an office chair and like keyboards and filing cabinet and credit cards. And I'm just looking at it right now. I'm like, what is even on this cover? Like, yeah, like a lot of crinkled up paper flip charts. It's uh, the idea is all about like, Hey, you can conquer all this lame businessy stuff that has always scared you. Like you can, you can, you can make it to the top of that mountain. Yeah. Yeah. So what's after conquering? Right. So they've made it to the top of the mountain. They've, you know, they planted the flag. They've arrived. Right. They've achieved. They've arrived. So what's after that? It's a great question. So the final chapter is all about thinking long term. It's all about strategy. And I present this idea that, you know, you don't make it to your destination by accident. You know, people make it to their destination based on a plan and based on taking the next best step and orienting in the right direction. So, you know, I think that what's after conquering is just whatever, whatever's the next thing as part of the plan, you know, whatever the next thing is part of the journey. And I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in, in having a purpose, you know, purpose statement for your life and also for your business. Mm -hmm. And so what's next? I mean, the, the, I guess in theory, you know, if you have a, a conquering business, which I would define as, making money, growing, thriving, 
scaling. If you have a business like that, then then it, it, it allows you to go pursue purpose. It allows you to go and invest more in the why behind why you're doing it. You, know, you can't do any of that if you're not making money. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that business is a good thing. It's a good thing to have businesses that are that are that are doing well and thriving because the, you can then go and leverage that to go and, and make a difference in the world beyond just offering a great product. I think that's a great that makes a difference in the world as well. So what's next after conquering is up to up to the individual. Depends on long-term strategy, it depends on purpose, what what is driving you. And that's up to that's up to everyone to figure out on their own. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the sketch effect. Kind of give, you know, so so the book is your history of learning these different business principles. But majority of those are within the context of you starting your own business. You had an idea, the spark. Somebody liked it, got a lot of feedback, trial and error, trial and error, team building, financial, all the different components of, and then, you know, you're 10 years in. So kind of go back a little bit and, and give a little bit of background on, on where you came from, how you got into what you're doing, and then why you launched the Sketch Effect and kind of some of the highlights of, of your leadership and ownership of the Sketch Effect. Of course. So I did not set out to become an entrepreneur. I was not... I mean, you know me, you, you've known me for a long time. I, I was never like on that path of, of like, I'm going to start a business and be an entrepreneur. That was never part of my career master plan. I always wanted to be a cartoonist and an illustrator. And so that was where most of my life was going up through, you know, high school and college was all on this. It was this cartooning career path where I was going to have a great comic strip and it was going to get syndicated. And I was going to win Pulitzer Prize and all this stuff. That was that was the master plan for a long, for most of my life. And then around the time I graduated college and entered the real world, the, the economy was, was in a bad shape. The newspaper industry was falling apart. And, and that, that career path to become a professional, thriving professional cartoonist was no longer a very viable career path. And so I had to kind of change up my plan. And so I, I was a little bit kind of wandering the wilderness for a few years where I, I did a couple things. One, I moved back to Atlanta. I was living in DC, moved back to Atlanta. I went back to grad school at Savannah College of Art and Design to get a master's degree in illustration. And I also ended up getting a part-time marketing job at Chick-fil-A corporate here in Atlanta. And that was my first real experience working in kind of an office, a corporate office environment. I've been in an office environment before, but that was my first time in kind of a businessy office environment. And so two things were happening simultaneously. I was finishing my art degree, and as I was also working in this businessy world, cubicle, suit and tie, yeah, business land. And if you've ever been down to the Chick Fil A corporate office, it's incredible. Like just amazing, great people. You can just you can just feel the excellence in the air when you're there. Yeah, it's amazing. And so I was kind of. At Chick-fil-A, I was kind of having this almost like mini business school incubator experience. I'd never been to business school. I'd never taken a business class. And I was learning these things just firsthand by seeing seeing good business in action. And the sketch effect, my business, the sketch effect really emerged from that in, in, in that here I was in this business environment. I've always loved drawing, but my role at the time was not the most creative role. I mean, it was, it was creative. It was, it was creative that it was in marketing. We were doing cool things, but I wasn't drawing. I wasn't sketching on a regular basis. And so I started to just do that drawing stuff for fun in the context of my, my role. So what, what did that look like? What it looked like is I would, 
I would doodle in my notebook during meetings. If we were in a, in a conference room with a whiteboard, I would ask my team if they didn't mind if I could go and hop up on the whiteboard and get some whiteboard markers and, and kind of draw our notes. Or if I was giving a presentation, I would illustrate out my concepts. I'd scan them in and put them in my PowerPoint along with text. So I'd have like a, a fully illustrated presentation deck. And for me, all these things was just a natural creative expression. It was just a natural creative outlet to bring some creativity in the workplace. But what happened is that people started to find value in what I was doing. They said, hey, that's really cool. And not only is it cool, but it's making our meeting better. I want to take pictures of it. I want to share it. I want to distribute it. And then people around the organization at Chick-fil-A started asking me to come to their meetings or their department, you know, conferences or whatever and, and, and sketch the notes for them. And I was like, this is cool. This is really fun. But it was just at that point, it's still just a, a fun thing. It was still just a hobby in the context of my work. But then people outside of Chick-fil-A reached out and said, hey, we'll come. We want you to come do this for us and we'll pay you. And I'm like, wow, OK, people are actually willing to pay money for this. And well, so how, that, did they find, how did they hear how they find out about it? How did they even know to call you and say, hey, come and do this? So, yeah, there's there's always people at Chick-fil-A coming and going outside agencies, outside vendors that are there on site. And so a lot of them would see it in the office. They were just around. So it's not just internal meetings that other people were there, too. Correct. And also yeah. at the time, Chick-fil-A was a title sponsor of an event called LeaderCast. Yeah. And so I actually did the sketch note thing for that event, which kind of made it out on the Internet and kind of got noticed by a few people. So it's a combination of those two things, I would say. So at that point, this sketching thing became a, a side hustle. You know, I would take PTO. I would go and take a day off here and there and go do sketching for a conference in Dallas or Orlando or Atlanta or wherever it happened to be. And then as more and more of those opportunities came about and the more and more I, I kind of studied the the business plan, you know, came up with a business plan, I realized, hey, there could be a really viable business based on this idea of visual communication. And that's what it was. It was visual communication. It was taking visuals, cartoons, comics, illustrations, icons, sketching. It was taking visuals and using it to help our clients communicate ideas in a more memorable, in a more understandable, in a more actionable way. What's the science behind that? Because I mean, you can, you know, I know, I know that like how people learn, right? It's not just entertaining. Correct. It's not just entertaining. It actually makes the content absorb into the person's mind. But there's certain, right? I mean, as a visual learner, right? They talk about visual learning, but it's not just visual learning, right? You put graphs up there, you can put bar charts, you can put right icons from PowerPoint stock, right? List. But this this is a little bit different. How does what you do impact? the learner and the, and the recipient. So there's tons of science behind this idea of visual learning. You know, human beings, we are visual learners. It's in our DNA. It's in our history. I mean, you go back and look at the ancient cave paintings from thousands and thousands of years ago, people were communicating and telling stories using pictures from, from before they could write before they could, yeah. you know, before they had language where they had the written word. Yeah. And you look at throughout history, like hieroglyphics, the Chinese had a system of hieroglyphs called logograms. You even look at the Middle Ages, like before the before the masses were illiterate, you know, stained glass windows existed in these ancient churches to tell the stories of the Bible. Like you look at illuminated manuscripts, which is a form of, of the Bible that's fully illustrated, you know, 
And so throughout all of human history, we have learned visually, we've communicated visually. And it wasn't until it wasn't, sorry, I'm getting really nerdy here, but it really wasn't until the printing press and until kind of the 1800s and 1900s that verbal or written communication became cheaper and easier to do. So, and more and more people learned how to read. And so what you had in the 20th century was this massive swing towards verbal communication where it was all written and spoken. And so you had newspapers and you had books and that was all great, but it, it, it almost overcorrected away from the visual side of learning. And so you have kids who had, you had kids who would learn in school using picture books and illustrated books, but by the time they're in high school, that's all gone. It's expected to be entirely verbal. And I think that's, it's a big problem because, like I said, human beings learn visually. And in fact, visual learning is the most powerful channel of learning. Studies show that retention and, and, and understanding increase dramatically when learning is visual, more so than verbal or kinesthetic or auditory. And so what's interesting is that in the 21st century, all of a sudden, the pendulum has swung back towards visual. I mean, you look at every social media platform is visually based. Instagram. TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, it's all visual learning. And the reason why it's so powerful is and it, the reason why it's so popular is because it's so powerful and, and attractive. Like people want to look at videos. They want to look yep. at graphics. They want to look at yep. imagery. And now it's easier than ever to make that. I mean, that's the thing with all these social media platforms is it's never been easier to make visual content. And so society is swinging back in the opposite direction where now it's more, more visual and less verbal. And so sketch effect, you know, this, you know, I think the reason why we have been successful as a business is we've kind of ridden that wave or we've rode that wave, ridden, rode, we've surfed that wave. You're asking the wrong guy. Yeah. I don't know. We surfed the wave. We'll take both, all of the above. Because, you know, visual learning is not just, should not just be relegated to kids books or TikTok, you know, visual learning should be in the corporate, corporate world. It should be in the professional workplace. There's no reason why savvy business professionals can't learn through pictures and images. And so Sketch Effect has met that need in the marketplace of providing communication that is effective. You know, it's communicating the idea, it's getting the thing across, but it's also enjoyable, it's entertaining, and it's memorable. You know, it's way more memorable than a boring PowerPoint deck or a white paper or a lengthy email. And so that to to kind of round, to answer their question in a very long-winded way, that's been the sweet spot of sketch effect is that we're, we're meeting a need in the marketplace. We're doing it in a compelling visual way and it's providing value. And I think that's why we've, we've had 10 years of growth. It seems like the simplest thing, right? It's the simplest thing, but it stays true that uh, what we see with our eyes, right? We remember those things, not just the words on the page, but we remember those things kind of a parallel track side note, maybe a rabbit trail, you know, I heard, though, that the olfactory senses are the most powerful. And the person that was talking about that, I read an article, but it was that if you like you smell something, there's a there's an odor. It can take you back mm-hmm. to a moment and you've got complete recognition of all of the ancillary details of that moment. It weird kind of snapshot. You know where you were. You know what you were wearing. You know what the weather was like. You know who was there. And just because you smell some sort of smell is a combination of maybe it's a combination of the smell and like the sound or whatever that moment was. Have you ever experienced that? 
Oh yeah, I think it, yeah, and, and I've I've read I've read those studies as well in terms of like recall memory recall. It's like you yeah. walk into a, an old, you know, old building you you used to like you think of an elementary school or maybe like a church you attended when you were a kid and you walk in and you smell it and it's like man it takes you right back like yeah it, it's just it's it's just one one kind of piece of the learning the learning pie like and I think that's important to remember which is that you know we learn in a lot of ways we remember in a lot of ways. Yeah. And if you're just sticking to words on paper or a boring PowerPoint presentation or an email, like you're going to miss people. You might get 10%, you know, but you're going to miss the 90%. Yeah. Yeah. So in growing, you know, raising kids and kind of presenting different things to them, you know, Lauren, your cousin walks with the kids through school, right? They're, They're literally walking with them every single day, homeschool. And one of the things she's always done is maintain that visuals. And I look around and I'm like, you know, this is the coolest classroom I've ever been in. Mm, like I, didn't, awesome. I didn't grow up in, you know, some of those classrooms where the visual piece is always there. And I can see the difference, right? And, you know, growing up, you have different teachers that do different things. But the ones that kind of said, open your book to page so-and-so, we're just going to read it. You don't remember a lot of that stuff, right? You have right, to go back right. and teach yourself so many of those different things. So you... You use the visual piece. You were tapping into an interest that executives, different people said, hey, that's going to help me communicate what I need to communicate to who I need to communicate it to in a way that makes what we're saying memorable, actionable, and it's a good, just a good business communication tool. So you did those drawings and then what's kind of the, some of the prop, like quote unquote, pro, you saw, you talk about productizing the right. So it's not just you getting up and expressing yourself using the words that they're talking about, right? You built a system on how to take a meeting and how to take a presentation and sketch it out so that it's, it's a part of the deliverable in that business context. So how did you build that system? Right. It's a great question. And it was a, it was a trial and error process. And, you know, that's one of the, the ideas I unpack in the book, which is like, the, you're not going to arrive on your core product right away. You're not going to arrive on your, you know, to your amazing, brilliant service or good right away. It's a trial and error process. It's all about prototyping, trying things out, seeing what works, seeing what sticks, what doesn't stick. It's all part of the productization process. But once you have an idea of what is going to stick, then it's important to put systems around it as soon as you can. And so at the Sketch Fact, our two core products that have endured, because we started off with like nine or 10, and now there's only two left because we cut the other eight that weren't, weren't great. So our two core products are video animation, which most people know about. You know, it's animation, it's whiteboard videos, it's motion graphics, it's 2D animation. And the other one is our is our live sketching service, which goes by the name of graphic recording. That's the industry term. Graphic Graf- recording. Recording, correct. Yep. And not recording in the sense that we have a movie camera or TV camera and recording, video recording. It's recording in the sense of, of scribing or writing down or capturing. So yeah. the, the, it also goes by the term of graphic facilitation or visual scribing or visual note-taking. Yeah. But each of those are very, very different. So one, you know, with the video, with video animation, it's a whole production process. So when we're thinking through our process, when we're building our systems, we're kind of carving it up into steps, into phases. So we've got our, we got our kickoff call with the client where we talk about, 
you know, what's the goal of the video? What is, who's the audience? What's the voice and tone you want to communicate creatively? Like, what do you want to do? You want to do something more out of the box or something more, you know, buttoned up and kind of standardized. And then we move into the scripting phase and then the storyboarding phase and then the illustration phase and the animation phase. And it's a, it's a, it's a drawn out process because it has to be, because we're creating a, a perfect final animated video, whether it's one or five minutes long. But the other service, the graphic recording one, you know, that's a lot more organic. That's a lot, that's, that's less scripted. It's not scripted at all, actually. So with that, you know, we're showing up, we have artists and it was me and now we've got a team. I still do it from time to time, but mostly it's our team of talented artists and they're fantastic at what they do. Our artists will go on site with a client. I mean, you've seen this because we've, we've done it for a few, a few events together and we set up a canvas in the room, usually a whiteboard or a foam core panel. And while the meeting is taking place, our artists are actively listening to the content. They're synthesizing it in real time. And then they're sketching it out in pictures and images. And so it it relies on the artist's ability to be a good listener. It relies on their ability to to be able to synthesize ideas and draw out the kind of the core, core themes of that idea. And then it relies on their ability to artistically depict it. And so there's a lot of fluidity in that in that equation. And what we have done in the sketch effect is we've tried to put as much systems around that fluid process as we can. So for instance, we systematize how we choose our color palettes. We systematize the key icons we use. We systematize how we lay out a, a, a sketch, you know, design-wise. We systematize some of the graphical elements that will appear. We systematize how we draw people and how we draw you know, just different elements of the, of the sketch. So we have this very fluid product, very kind of out there kind of fluid product, but we've put as much systems around as we can to ensure consistency, to ensure we can scale it up, to ensure we can teach it. And that's been a really valuable process. And it it was a long process and we're still refining it to this day. I was having conversations with my team yesterday about maybe we should change this part of the process. Maybe we should stop doing this, or maybe we should start doing that. And it's a constant, it's a constant refining process to get that, to get that product, that service to, you know, to its most elevated form. Yeah. And I have seen several of, you know, the, the work product that you've done and, and different, I've been a couple of conferences and you actually helped us with a video. And one thing I want to note on that is the video that you helped us do was awesome. The people providing the input to you, that was in a time, and, and you talk about this in your book, but that was in a time at Legacy where our focus was in about 800 different areas, mm. right? Which is the opposite mm. of focus, right? It's, a, it's not focused at all. right? And we were spread out, kind of thinking about a bunch of different things. There was a lot of transition going on at the company. And what we thought would be a really good idea, you sketched out beautifully for us. And we walked through and then we actually picked up projects around using the, the video. And then we realized we can't execute on these projects. <laughs> we, we, had to re, we, we had no system in place. That's we were funny. out there That's getting awesome. business using this methodology. And we're, we're sitting there like, we can't execute on this thing. This is so far beyond what we are capable of doing. But the process was great, right? The system you took us through was awesome. And then, you know, looking at how you've done some of these conferences that I've been to being able to come up and people walk up and they take a snapshot of what you drew or what one of your team members drew. And they know what the conference was about just in that one photograph, which goes back to your point of 
You can illustrate a whole Bible story in a stained glass window. You can cram theology into a stained glass window. That's a big deal, right? That, right. The, the nuances of the visual art, putting those little details. And that's why I asked you about the cover of the book, because I know it's not an accident. Right. That you didn't just draw a mound. You didn't draw a black mound. He's standing on the person is standing on a black mound. You drew specific things in there because you can tell part of that story without having to write it out, you know, in such a long form. And, you know, the and people like it. That's why my grandfather, you know, I want to shift and talk about comics a little bit for a minute. Yeah. I hate the fact I hate the fact that comics are not around. They are around, and you can actually go to a web, go to the website with my kids every now and again. All the syndicated comics are out there on a website. But I used to get like we used to fight when the Sunday paper came because oh, the, yeah. the the color comics or or funnies or funny papers, whatever you're you know. But I used to have to fight with my grandfather to get them first, right? If he got up and was getting the newspaper, or you know, we're staying up for weekend, and we'd read them and laugh and on and on and on. But there's one in particular, Calvin and Hobbes, right? Oh, that's that's one that, okay. So tell me a little, and, 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 you know, by the way, I read the book, I was thinking through this and I said, so last Sunday I went and got newspaper from Publix. I went, we were picking us up something after church and I said, Hey, go get one of those newspapers. And I, Why do you want a newspaper? So I went home and I pulled, you know, you reach in, you don't do anything else. You just reach in and pull out the funny papers. Yeah. And my kids were, you know, I got a 12 year old. He goes, what is this, dad? Oh, so he's, yeah. he's 12. And he's never seen the fun. That's my fault. But I showed him the funny papers and they, they've read them. They've read them, re-read them 10 times this week already. All of them. So go back a little bit because you touched on it in the book. What, what were the, what was the impact on you with the funnies overall cartoons in general? And what, what sparked interest in you, but specifically Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah, Calvin Hobbes is, I think, some of the best literature that's ever been produced. Like, it's it's even it's more than a comic. It's it's great literature. I mean, it's full of great characters and storylines and yeah. I- ideas and like philosophy and like commentary on the world. It's it's just it's brilliant. And I I told the story in the book that I trace a lot of my original creative spark to. Back when I was six years old, my dad, who was also a fan of the comics, would read to me Calvin and Hobbes at night before I'd go to bed. So we would sit in the bed and we'd have a Calvin Hobbes anthology. And this is in the 90s. So the, the strip had been around for a while. So, there, you know, there were books of it. And so we had a book of it and he would read to me at night. And I, I remember just that experience really kind of lit a spark in me. And I was like, hey. I want to do this. Like, I feel like I can draw. I feel like I want to tell stories. I think I can do this. And so beginning at six years old, I started to make my own comics and they were really crude and bad and, you know, rough. And the characters were kind of goofy and the storylines probably weren't good. And the jokes were probably lame, but what matters is that I was doing it. I was like starting to make my own comics. And then as I got older, it just got a little more sophisticated. And I think the humor got better. And then I did it through college and won some awards and, have always have always loved have always loved comics and the the format of comics. And what's interesting is that the sketch effect, in a way, we're almost making comics for professionals. We're we're making comics yeah. for corporations. You know, we call it animated video, we call it graphic recording, but it's really just a bunch of pictures with in words that tell that communicate an idea. And so it's been really special for me to kind of see where I've landed 
and I'm not done yet. You know, there's still, there's more, there's more life to be lived, but at least right now I've landed in a place where I'm getting to do something I love, which is draw. We're getting to do something else I love, which is communicate ideas. And we're getting to meet a need in the marketplace and, you know, have a business and make money from it. And it's just been really special to kind of see that, that kind of come full circle because yeah, there was a period where like in, in around when I, I mentioned earlier, when I graduated college, I was kind of giving up on the cartooning dream a little bit. I'm like, this is not going to happen. And it's been cool to see that dream get resurrected in the form of this business, the sketch effect where we're getting to do what is essentially comics for, yeah, for businesses. Well, it's almost, it's a disruption, right? The, the internet disrupted everything or most things. And a guy that was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, a guy named Henry Hayes, he talks about market disruption, right? And AI is doing the things, what blockchain did to the financial sector and is doing, right? The ripple effect is still out there. and Blockchain can be applied to, you know, so many other, you know, things. He uses, talks about Blockbuster, talks about Netflix, you know, some of those mm-hmm. examples. Right. But com- the comic industry is not, is not, you know, an, what it used to be. Right. And but you're still taking the same principles and applying them in a way that people write the same concept. Right. Is it, it visually communicating with a few words, but visually because I never read the comics where the most of the, the square was dialogue. Right. I'm like, I don't, I don't have time. This is not a yeah. soap yeah. opera. Yeah. But, the, but the Beetle Baileys and the Family Circus and the BC and the and Calvin and all of those that were just yeah. kind of to the point. And you knew there was a heavy truth behind it, but it was fun to see and it wasn't overwhelming and it was organized in a nice way. That's the same thing that you're doing in this concept and adults enjoy it. Right. Adults enjoy it and it doesn't make their eyes class over. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You nailed it. It's appealing. It's, but it's not just entertaining. It's also memorable and it's understandable. And so there, there's a real, there's a real business value in it, which is that if you have a, if you have a idea or a message and you want people to understand it, retain it, and then go take action, then you, you need to be communicating with, with pictures and images. And so it's not just about entertainment. It's not just about, wow, that looks cool. It's actually a real business value that comes out of it. So at some point, you know, the, the real stuffy people, right? I imagine. So the question is, did you have anybody that came back and said, this isn't professional? This doesn't belong in a corporate setting. Anybody come back and, and kind of, you know, give you feedback that, you know, said this didn't belong? Only people who never hired us. You know, I mean, there's people that don't hire us and that's fine. They don't have to, you know, you can, you can kind of keep doing your, your corporate same old approach forever. And it's fine, but you're going to lose people. But we have had people who have hired us and maybe not everybody was so sure about it, or they were a little skeptical, like, oh, well, you're going to, you're going to have an artist come to our event and they're going to draw while we're having our meeting. Like, that sounds weird, but everyone is always won over by the end. And we always get feedback from people who are like, look, I was not sure if this was going to be a good thing. I was not sure if this was going to be professional or if it was going to be a distraction or what, but now that I, now that I've seen sketch fact in action, now that I've seen this value, you know, I'm sold, I'm a believer. And so, yeah, I mean, the pe- the people that don't, that think it's amateurish or, or not professional, they're just not going to hire us and that's fine. They don't have to, 
but more and more people are, and more and more people are being won over, which is really exciting. Yeah. I think that, I think my challenge to that idea and that assumption is, you know, some people take themselves too seriously. Correct. Right. And, 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 you know, there's a definition out there of, you know, like, I understand if you're at a wedding, you're at a funeral, you need to look nice, right? You don't need to show up in jeans and a t-shirt. So there's, there's ways and levels of taking yourself seriously and being professional and being, you know, presented. But I liken this back to Patrick Lencioni's death by meeting. Mm-hmm. Right. Have you read that one? I have. So, you know, take it or leave it. But the idea is that if you're just sitting there meeting to meet, then that's a waste of time. Correct. And in a meeting where you're trying to communicate, if you're trying to communicate valuable information, actionable intelligence, and you're not taking advantage of every opportunity to, to instill in the, in the team that you've created, right? The ability to go and act on that. Then why wouldn't you look at an opportunity like this? Mm -hmm. It just seems like one more way, one more tool in the belt, right? You got to print something, you got to hand something out, you got to go something, you got to have parts, you got to have actual statistics and data, you know, you're not sitting there doing, you know, doing any of that kind of stuff, but you're just taking the concepts and pull, pulling them together. It seems like some, you know, you, you, you should definitely at least entertain that idea. And that's really exciting. I think that when I first heard about this and you were going to come in and do something for us, I'm like, you know, I, I don't know about that. And my thought was some experiences I've been to where someone actually gets up and paints like a mural during the talk. And I'm like, I don't, you know, this is, that's nice and all, but is it just to help me not fall asleep? <laughs> what, what exactly am I taking away from this? Cause I can't take that away. I mean, that's pretty and all, but I can't take that away. This right. is actually taking the concepts, the, the structure of the discussion, the inputs, the challenges, the feedback, the next steps, and you're laying it all out, mapping it all out. And that to me is, is very different than just getting up there and having an artistic demonstration during a conversation in a, a, an event like that. It's very different. Right. It's extremely different from performance art. And that's what we yeah. have to make. We have to make that distinction very clear when people are learning about us is that, you know, we're not performance artists. We are communicators. You know, we're, yeah. we're facilitators. We're, we're not we're not there to put on a show that's pretty. I think the deliverable is pretty. It's a very attractive, creative deliverable, but it's not the, the the goal is not to perform and not to entertain. The goal is to educate and help people learn and have more effective meetings. And so, yeah, if you're going into it with this mindset of, oh, this is like a painter and they're going to come and paint up, you know, an upside down canvas and spin it around. It's going to be Abraham Lincoln or whatever. Like, that's not it, you know. Or is it going to be this like performance art where like all the dancers come on stage and like paint, paint butterflies or whatever? Like, it's not that. It's about ideas. It's about connections. It's about learning. It's about solving problems. It's about collaborating. It's about action. Yeah. So yeah, as yeah. soon as if you if you can get over that hump, you know, if you can, like you said, if you, if you're if you're a big stuffy corporate person and you're worried about that, if you can get over that hump, then you see the value and it's you know off to the races. So let me ask you a little question about you said a word that we loved legacy. Because we we talk with business owners about the, the collaboration effect on profit, right? The three wins is the financial wins all the way across the board, right? But then you have to have that collaboration piece, that teamwork in order to go achieve that vision, right? To actually make that happen. What's been your experience 
artists, I mean, and other personalities are different, but artists seem it's hard to receive criticism on one's work, no matter what you are, but especially if you're an artist, because so much of who you are comes out in your art. Yep, exactly. So what's that been like? What's that been like kind of orga- yourself, but also organizing the people around you who work with you, getting them to collaborate around art in a way that is able to focus on what the team is doing as a collective whole. So you're right. It, analyzing or working professionally with creatives is, is tricky because we are working, we're producing work that is part of our soul. It's we're very emotionally attached to it. It's very intertwined with our self-worth as people. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to draw a very clear distinction. And actually, I think chapter three is all about this is that we're, you know, we're more than our work. Our work is our work, but it's not who we are. And in a professional setting, our work is meeting a need in the marketplace. That's all it is. It's it's helping someone solve a problem and achieve something they want to achieve. And so we approach it with that context in mind. And that in that way, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit less touchy to give feedback and to collaborate because mm-hmm. it's not, we're not doing a, this is not a outpouring of our soul. It's a, a meeting and it's a marketplace need that we're meeting. And we always say this phrase in the sketch effect all the time. And I, I want, I, I say it often because I want to drill it into my team, which is that feedback is a gift. Feedback is a gift. Feedback is a sign that you care about the person's success. You know, if you go to a restaurant and you have a bad experience and then you don't provide them feedback about why it was bad, then, then you're allowing that restaurant to continue in their failure. But if you, if you take the time to give them feedback, it means that you care about their success. The same thing is true for my team. You know, if, if I'm not actively coaching, giving feedback to my team on how they can improve, it means I don't care about them as a leader. It means I don't care about their success. I don't give a crap about how they, how they thrive or grow. So we always say feedback is a gift. And so when I'm giving you feedback, it should not be taken personally. It should not be something that is offensive to you. It should be something that you appreciate and cherish and leverage to get better and get and improve. Giving feedback is a sign that there's a relationship there and that the person is invested in, in that relationship. And so, yeah, we work with creatives. We keep those two things in mind, which is that, Hey, we're just meeting a need in the marketplace. This is just business. This is not your soul on canvas. You know, this is just a marketplace need that we're filling. And then two feedback is a gift. So if I tell you to correct something or a client tells us to correct something, it's a gift. It's a good thing. It might not, it might be, it might sting a little bit, but we know that it's for our, our ultimate, it's for our ultimate flourishing and thriving. Yeah. That's such a strong concept because it does kind of check your ego in a sense that, and you mentioned Donald Miller's, Miller's story brand several times in the book, and you're not the hero, right? right. The client is always the hero. Yep. Who you're serving but, is the, who the hero. You're there for them. Yeah. And most of the time, their client is their hero. So you're helping them serve their hero. And it just kind of keeps going. And, and that's the beautiful thing that, you know, in any of our storytelling, any of our work, because even if you're creating a spreadsheet, modeling out a pro forma with a growth model and, and the financial analysis that goes into that and the financial planning that's based off of it, if you're doing all that work, that's what we do here at Legacy. Some of your soul can creep into that, right? right. You really, you, oh, you yeah. really, and, and you want people that, are passionate about it. And that's one thing you talk, it's not just passion, right? You're channeling that passion into something that someone needs at a certain price point in a certain level of consistency with a great system and a great opportunity to, to repeat 
that on an ongoing basis. Right. And that, that's the that's the beauty of I think any entrepreneur has to have these concepts in the book nailed down. And we struggle with some of them in legacy. All of our clients struggle with some of these things. We struggle with some of these things. But that's that conquering mentality, which is a great which I like, you know, the, the, the title, because it's not a, I haven't conquered, right? The ING says, Hey, you're always working on these different things. Yeah. It's always, it's always, there's always ways to improve. There's always ways to get better. There's always ways to add more value. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it doesn't end, you know, it just changes. And so same with us at the sketch effect. And, you know, we're always, we're always these things in the book. We're always working on it. We're always finding ways to improve across these areas. So what's next? You got the book, right? That's been a big project. You're refining different things. And you talked about these two main products that you're doing. You have anything in the, in the pipeline coming up as far as products or different, different uh, big things that are next for you or the business? So we are always trying to just, get better at running a great business. You know, we, we just want the sketchback to continue leveling up and being the best business we can serve the clients as best as we can make them as successful as we can. So that's always, you know, in terms of what's next, we're always trying to push the, push the bar higher, but you know, with the book, I, I really hope this starts to help people. And I would, you know, I, I would love to go and share it with, with students and classes and, and entrepreneurs groups and, do more speaking and do more sharing around the themes of the book because I care about it and I wanted to I wanted to have an impact on on people. But you know, in terms of what's next with the with the sketchback beyond just running a great running a great business is, you know, we're looking at like how does AI factor into what we do? How does virtual reality factor into what we do? You know, is there a re, is there a world where we're using different tools and different different mediums because you know we're we're all about the visual communication like that's the mission that's not going to change. But the method, the way we go about getting there could change. And so we're just trying to keep an eye open for it. But, you know, in the near term, we're just going to keep on doing what we do and trying to get better at it, continuing to push the bar of excellence higher and higher and keep on making making great product, putting it into the world. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time today. And proud of you, man. That's good stuff. Way to, way to go. It's no easy feat. And not just getting it done, but getting it done so well and making a great product out there. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was a it was a tiring process, a long process, but I enjoyed it. You know, I, I enjoyed it and I, I'm I'm happy with how the book turned out. And yeah, let me know if I can help you guys out or review an early copy or whatever. I'd love to, yeah, love yeah. to take a look. Awesome.